Following is a darshan class entitled the first Gorpanim class given by His Holiness Jaya Patakaswami Maharaj on May 6, 1982 in St. Louis, USA. Namaste Sarasati Deve Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Sanyavadi Pashatya Deshacharine Namo Mahabadanaya Krishna Prema Pradayate Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne Gauratrushe Namo Nama He Krishna Karuna Sinhi Dina Bhandhu Jigatpate Gopesha Gopikasam Paradhasam Tanamastate Well, it's the 
the other one is for holding the pencil. <laughs> no. Or is it showing one for off and down? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a blessing to write on the head. And the other one's looking at her. <laughs> you got one hand there. So, Lord Chaitanya is the ocean of mercy. But within him, all the different avatars are there. Sometimes we should have probably observed these appearances of Vishnu avatars. He would mention a little bit about the ten avatars, about a number of the avatars. Because they're all coming from Krishna. But we worship them in that relationship, not specifically we set up different temples. But each deity. Well, I haven't been to Andhra Pradesh to see all the Andhra Pradesh temples. Anybody see? But I understand that there's one special Nasinga deity that devotees come from thousands of miles to see. And uh, the deity is offered a mix of water and gore, made into like a gore egg. <laughs> and one full glass is given by the devotee, and then they offer that with a tulsi down the throat of the deity. His throat is mouth is opening. You put it down. And apparently it makes a guggle 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 sound. And then it the deity spits out half a cup of the gore drink. And that's given back as a percent. <laughs> you see that? Yeah. Can you give us more detail? And it's it about a big, uh, big uh, bowl of uh, this gore wire and black for eight rupees. And then you take it in and the guy does a special puja for you and you know, says your name and do these things. That's the special benediction. Did you put in a good word there for sure, guys? <laughs> <laughs> so what he does is, no matter what size the bowl is, you can buy different sizes. So, the office in the hospital fills up the sunset one, and he pours it down in the same day's uh, mouth. And then he pours another one, and he pours another one. When it gets halfway down, no matter what size he's getting in it, he stops. He won't take any more. And he leaves the rest. He, just, he won't drink anymore. It just won't go down after half. And if the container is small, he'll drink half the small container and he'll leave the rest. Then they give you that at the time. Then I miss another temple that is in his ferocious mood. So I understand the whole year they keep him covered with a thick coating of sandalwood. And they pack up buttons on each other, that's when they hear the name of And then it's for so they keep him cool, they cover him with sandalwood. And once a year, I think maybe today, once a year, they take off his sandalwood and then again put one day you can see the actual deity and then they cover him up again with sandalwood to keep him cool. You said that was good? Yeah. Well, the Shots Mountain is a beautiful temple. It's uh, there's huge uh, steps going for about half a mile all the way up, granite steps and built all the way up to the top of the hill. And uh, there's waterfalls coming down there, and it's a very beautiful setting on the deck, like a little tropical. And then when you get to the top, there's the main temple inside, uh, there's many other temples, many temples in the same day. And it's a huge, all you can see when you go into the dark time, is a huge, like, lump of uh, tundra. Almost like, you know, it looks at, like a lingam almost, and if you go in, it's just like tundra, you know. And then, uh, the, uh, you know, you point the year for something up there, you know, they take all the time thousands of people come, and they see a bra in the same form of a bra in the But they say that uh, that form of the day was the one that caught a lot of my eyes when he jumped off the uh, cliff, or when he was thrown off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and of course, afterwards, Mishri Hadeh performed the pastime of killing Hiranyakashipu, and then he washed his hands in that one lake. I think his devotees were in rock somewhere. Then he traversed over the, and he went to, uh, <coughs> over to Navadvip and rested there. So there, all the demigods, they took the form of villages, and there were different hills, like Indratila, Akantila, different hills that they had, seven tilas, and they all came and uh, were worshipping Lord Nishinghandev, like menial servants. This year, during the Parikrama, our Ishtan devotees had the great fortune of visiting. And when they went there, there was a the lake where the present deity was recovered and around it are the hills for the devotees whenever they find a nice lake in the hot weather now to take advantage of in the holy down. So Lord Nasinga in all the different incarnations they always go to Navadvip Dam. Navadvip Dam is eternal down. Just like Ayodhya Mathura, it's not that just when Ram Chandra came, Ayodhya became pure. Ayodhya was always a holy dham, because that's the eternal dham of Ramachandra. <laughs> Every time he comes, he comes there. Just like recently the Secretary of State went running here and there back and forth between Britain and Argentina. Whenever he go to Britain, he stopped in his embassy, and whenever he went to Argentina, he stopped in the embassy. Because that's like his home, away from home, his home base, that's American so property. So like that, similar to some degree, the uh, Supreme Lord, when he comes to the material world, he has got his particular dom, which are directly under his personal internal potency protection. And so, naturally, he'll prefer to rest or to have any pastime in his dom. Like when Lord Nishinga comes, he knows that this is the place where I have my leelas in the Kali Yuga. This is a holy dam. doesn't mean that just because the leelas down there in Kali Yuga, that other yugas, they cannot recognize that this is their eternal place. Even, for instance, there was a king called Suvarna, and he was a very materialistic king. He was always worshipping different demigods and trying to get uh, opulence, material fame and power. Name, fame and glory is the same old story. It's a new song by Shura Vishnu Pad. Can you hear Name, fame and glory the same old story. So he, that's what he wanted. He wanted name, fame and glory. He wanted money, he wanted profit. And uh, he was doing so much together, giving charity, worshipping the Brahman, and so many different things. One day, Narada Muni came and told him that you're wasting your time. Why are you simply wasting all your energy for this material world? The things of this material world will not last. You won't be satisfied. You should. You don't know that you are living on the holy place of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You should wait for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu here, and you will get the complete fulfillment of all your desires. Explain to Lord Chaitanya was how he was so merciful. So Sivama, the king, even though it was before the Kala Yuga, and the Yuga, he was worshipping, and uh, Lord Chaitanya appeared to him, and he was just completely overwhelmed to have the Holy Dash and Lord Chaitanya, even though it wasn't in the Kala Yuga, but Lord Chaitanya is always in his Holy Dash. <coughs> He bowed down to the king, to the uh, to Lord Chaitanya. The king bowed down. He paid his obeisances. He jumped up, he down. He was just completely fainting and getting up. And finally, he prayed to the Lord that please don't forget me. Please don't. How can I uh, 
when will I be able to participate in your transcendental pastime? So then Lord Chaitanya said that don't worry, you will take birth as Bhutti Mantra Khan in my pastime. So like this, there's so many different pastimes in the Holy Band over the ages. So similarly, all the different avatars visit the Holy Dhamma and have their pastimes. Just like in the Dwapa Yuga Balaram, he visited the Holy Dhamma of Mayapur and he killed the Mayasura demon. A demon called Mayasura and that silver is the field where he killed him known as the Mayamaramat or the place where the Maya demon was killed. When Bhuma took away, took out the Rajasuya horse and he came up to Mayapur, at that time, there was a king there called the King Samudra. So he knew that Bhuma was a great devotee of Lord Sri Krishna, and so then he decided that I'm going to attack Bhuma. You know that how the Rajasuya goes, they send off the horse in a different direction. And if the horse goes through the kingdom without being obstructed, then that kingdom is considered to be under the domain of that king who's doing this Rajasriya sacrifice. If they obstruct the horse, if they capture it, that's war. So, the king Samudra tried to capture the horse. He, he attacked Duma. And he fought so furiously that Duma was put into a very, very difficult situation. Tana said that he thought that it was going to be the end. At that time, Krishna immediately appeared and saved Bhima, which is all that the king Samudra wanted. He immediately made his obeisance to Krishna and said, I just wanted to get your darshan. <laughs> and uh, countries, you know, that's the way they do things. <laughs> so, uh, and that way Krishna also, he came to uh, the Holy Dhamma Navadri. So like that, when Lord Nisimhadeva appeared, he also came to Navadri, and he was there being worshipped by the different uh, gods and devotees in a very intimate way. The Jayadev, who wrote the song that we sing to Lord Nishanya Dev, Tabatara Kamalavarina Kamaguta Singam Dalita Hidanikashi Hutan Vindam Kesha Vadita Nara Hari Rupa Jai Jagadisha Hari. Jai Jagadisha Hari Jai Jagadisha Hari was written in Jagannath Puri. About Jagannath, I believe. And, uh, but he actually also lived in Mayapur before I went to Jagannathpuri. There's a place not too far from the birthplace of Lord Chaitanya known as Jayadev Pat. We also went by the Jayadev Pat this year in our prayer. Here's the birthplace of Lord Chaitanya, the devotee. Here's the program going out unlimited length. Heading towards the Jayadev Pat. There's some local villages offering puja to Anitai Gore. <coughs> In the Can I have one picture of Jayadev Pat? Don't have it. <coughs> that was the day they went. First day for this one. Anyway, here's looking over a long building. The Jayadev Pat is just over here. It's opposite the birthplace of Lord Chaitanya, off in the field then. So, what happened was that <coughs> Lakshman Sen was a great devotee, and he <coughs> sent a message that he would like to see Jayadev and make him like his guru over poetry or... When Jayadev heard that the king was wanted to see him, he said, no, I'm leaving Navadri. 
I won't associate with any king, the worldly people, with the pure Brahmana. I won't. Now I'm leaving Navadip, I can't stay. <coughs> so then Lakshman said, he came disguised as an ordinary person. And he fell down at the feet of Jayadev and he paid his obeisances and he begged him that uh, you have said you're going to leave Navadip. But I want to beg you not to, uh, not to uh, completely leave Navadip. That uh, I may be a king, but nonetheless I need the association of uh, devotees. So if you could only just go to the other side of the river and live there, then. And that way, we would not be completely bereft from your association. Some appeal he made from the stay or anything. So then, Jaidev, he said, I'll stay on the other side of the river. I was just testing you by saying that you're a worldly person, you're a king, that's why I won't associate with you. But uh, I see that you're actually a Vaishnava. So you can come and see me, but you have to come in disguise. But uh, because I said I'm leaving Navadip, I won't go back on my words, I'm going over to the other side, and I'll stay there. So that was at Chapahati. You went to see the Chapahati? Remember that? Gorgadarhai Temple? Here's, here's in the Gorgadarhai Temple. Oh, and that was the big, big Gorgadarhai by Baninath, I believe. Baninath or uh, Baninath, another devotee. So she looked at had those ladies carved. And uh, nearby there was where our respected Jaidev lived. And the reason that's called Chapa Hati <coughs> is because his Champa flowers have got so many orchards there, these Champa flowers. The Golok Champa, have you ever smelled Golok Champa? It is just a very sweet flower. So sweet, so nectarine, that it's just like the, uh, like a spiritual fragrance. Apparently, these, one they're mentioned, Champa is mentioned in the Bhagavatam as one of the very pious, auspicious flowers. So these flowers are especially used to worship Krishna. The gopis used to come all the way from Vrindavan and pick flowers, these Champa flowers, and bring them back for the Rasvila. Some of the Gopis had the special power to be able to do this. So, all the orchards were there. But then as Kali Yuga came, then the people, local people, started taking the flowers and selling them. So, Hati means, like Namahat, Hati, means the marketplace of Champa flowers. <clears throat> so, today there's not so many Champa flowers, you can still see many trees. But the name is still there, Champahati. So that was where Jayadev was living in that forest of Champa flowers, Solo Champa. And he was writing some poetry. At that time, Krishna appeared to him. Chaitanya appeared to him and he requested that he wanted to see him in his two-handed form as Krishna. So then he appeared as Krishna. And then Jayadev was satisfied that he wanted to see Krishna mm-hmm. In Navadvip. But the Lord then commanded him that he should go to Jagannath Puri. And that there he had important service he had to do that Lord Jagannath wanted him. So like that, there's so many unlimited pastimes that are going on in the Holy Dham. So also when Lord Nishinghadev appeared, he went to the Holy Dham of <coughs> Navadvip Mayapur. So do we take uh, the opportunity of visiting the Holy Dham to become purified from offenses and to become fixed up in devotional service? This was the order of Srila Prabhupada. Actually, Prahlad Maharaj, he was always remembering 
Krishna. This is his special quality that Prahlad, he always remembers Krishna. He doesn't forget. When he was thrown into difficulties, thrown off the cliff, on different difficulties, he would never forget Krishna. Actually, he was the prince. He had unlimited opportunity to enjoy. His father had even defeated Indra. Every material opulence was at his disposal. But instead he was always focused on becoming Krishna conscious. So this irritated his father to no end. But why his son could not just be the standard materialistic demon and maintain the family tradition. Why Prahlad had to be a devotee when Prahlad was telling his father that we should not, he, he said, you are working for the enemy. He said, what is the question of enemy? For one who controls the senses, there's no enemy and no friend. They go to everyone. His father would get so angry, you think you are better at controlling your senses than me? Or I'll show you. I'll kill you. <laughs> you puffed up brat. <laughs> I don't you be a demon like I tell you. So, of course, even in modern day society, one can find some little bit partly perverted and partly similar reflections. I'm only hoping to be purified from that. I'm born in a family of demons. Naturally, I become... I'm attached to material enjoyment, but I do not want it. I simply want to be a pure devotee and serve your Lord. So, we advise on this auspicious day to take shelter of Prahlad Maharaj. Pray for him. We can follow in his footsteps by our desire for pure devotional service. Thus, Ame Bhakta Binashakti, Lord Chaitanya Krishna promises, he shall never perish. I know, but I'm just asking you She's one of the great female preachers in the Krishna consciousness movement. She gets special blessing from her father, who was Lord Nityananda. She and uh, Birbhadra Prabhu, Birchandra, they were born at Koda from Basuda. Two wives of Lord Nityananda, Janava and Basuda. Janava is Revati and Basuda is Baruni, Lord Balaram's two consorts. <coughs> and still today, there's a shrine built for the Samadhi of the umbilical cord of Ganga Mata Goswami and Virabhadra Prabhu. Of course, there's much more known about Virabhadra Prabhu. There's a whole book on it that gives the detailed leaves of Ganga Devi and Virabhadra. I know some of the pastimes of Virabhadra, but very few of Ganga Devi have We're doing some research now on Ganga Devi. The, uh, she married Madhav Acharya Das. Madhav Acharya, she Madhav Acharya. First, uh, at one point they were living in the district of Burdwan near Krishnadas Kaviraj's birthplace. At one time they were also living in the district of Hubli. <coughs> so in the district of Burdwan, near Jamatpur where that, that shrine was destroyed in a flood and we're trying to procure the land and rebuild this small shrine there to commemorate that place. And the temple for Ganga Devi Goswami in Hubli district we've just contributed 10,000 rupees to fix it up. But I haven't gone there myself. I was hoping that when I go there I would find out more details about her pastimes. But I understand that she also did some considerable preaching.
Janava Devi, of course, had thousands of uh, disciples and followers. And she did a whole, she attended the first uh, Gaur Purnima festival held by, sponsored by uh, Narottam Das Thakur at Keturi. And Srinivasacharya, Birbhadra Prabhu, Achutananda, and many, many other second generation associates of Lord Chaitanya, those are the... Because by that time, already Nityananda, Advaita, the Pantatata, they had already disappeared. But Ramai, the younger brother of Srivast, he went there. The two younger brothers went. And uh, Raghunandam Thakur from Srihatta, Srikanda, and many other devotees, literally a thousand principal remaining associates went, and then thousands of their disciples, like Ramchandra Kaviraj, Shamananda Pandit, I believe, also went with his followers. And then from there, Tanava Devi went to see the birthplace of Nityananda, her husband. And from there she went to Vrindavana. And then she had some pastimes in Vrindavan. Somehow I believe that in some of these pastimes she's reflecting the personality of Ananda Mantan. Which is true, but I don't, I haven't understood exactly. And I haven't read any commentary by the Acharyas except I think we're going to mention Deepak, I mentioned Prabhupada, that she's both. So when she's in Vrindavana and other places, she's... She, uh, in Vrindavana, there was a very special pastime in Radha but I don't remember this now. There was a special pastime in Radha Either she got the Radha excavated in a big way, Something happened right when I can't remember. But uh Janava Devi was very active. She went to Vrindavan and again she came back. But then she went twice to Vrindavan. For a lady woman, you know, to walk to Vrindavan. She would always have like when she went to Keturi, mm-hmm. then she had with her Minikita Ramdas, Vrindavan Das Thakur, so many different uh Nityananda Parshad Abhiram. Abhiram Das, Abhiram, Abhiram Das Papa, and many other. I believe that Ganga Devi Goswami is actually a connection of the Mother Ganga. I think it's mentioned in you. And the Huchimi Madhavachari must be uh, Maharashtantana. She always lives in the Ganges. You also see that uh, Gaga and Madha were uh, incarnations of Kanadija. The reason I ask is because I was because they were supposed to take three births, right? But then I thought that that would be their fourth birth. They took birth in Chaitanya Lila. So. Uh, they took birth in Chaitanya Lila. Because uh, three births was, uh, they were killed by the Lord, but the fourth birth they were given they were given Krishna Prima. You see, because they said that Chaitanya uh, Kasi was the Kamsa of Chaitanya Lila. You see, the Kamsa of Chaitanya Lila that would put him that was my confusion. That that would put him as one of the guys that they came as constant Sikhism. Is that how it works? Is that it? And then? Yes. Santavakya and Sikhism. It comes to just another So, Shankazi is constant. I was just recently reading Krishna's book again, and I thought that, uh, that there was something that I didn't understand all the time. That, um, in Shira Prabhupada says in the third channel about how his devotees will take birth of demons, you know, to uh, assist him in his pastimes, and sometimes he loves to fight. He wants to fight his devotees. So uh, I just wondered that uh, it seems like when when you read Christian books, sometimes you'll see that it just seems that it's an ordinary demon, or it's not explained so much. But then in another place, Sri Prabhupada said that um, when Krishna fights, he just wants to fight in his devotees. He doesn't want to fight against anybody. Another place, Prabhupada said that we shouldn't think that 
that every time Krishna wants to fight a demon, that a devotee has to fall down from the spiritual world so he can do it. Oh, that's on your hand. That's what happens when you have a late persona. All <laughs> <laughs> the blood is run out of the head. How did you like the preaching of South India? Tom about three times. Tom said about them. And how we give out in the Oh, the yeah. uh, When there's a, a large function, Gopalas and Sarifan has these uh, special cards that are like kind of little contracts that he passes out to all the crowds there. The Indians really love it. Uh, that says that they vow to chant one round the Hare Krishna mantra uh, on the deeds every day, at least one time a day. So uh, he gets the people to agree in the crowd that they'll chant one round of the Hare Krishna mantra that anybody that doesn't object to doing this. And then people raise their hand and says, okay, come up and get your card. And then they, then they come and get their card and they, they all fill it out. If they agree, I such and such agree to chant one round of the Krishna. So they bring it back and Shilpapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapap
because no sadhu ever begged him to do anything before. And that uh, somehow he took it up seriously that when I was driving him home, he said, I promise to chant Hare Krishna. I'm going to chant starting tonight. He had his beads and he said, and he went in the car, he was already going home and he started chanting his Hare Krishna that night. So the, the Agarwal was one of the directors of his company. He said, this is the biggest thing that ever happened. This guy never did anything. You know, of this type ever before. So I think it's a big breakthrough. So in response, I mean, the people do it. I mean, obviously there's some people probably forget. But in general, they many people take it very seriously. That's why we take their name and address to send them reminders, to keep the contact. Otherwise, surely they will forget. But uh, in general, they do take it very seriously. They have that tradition, you know, that if they promise Especially you make it as a whole ritual. They come up and bow down before the deity. They offer a flower. We give them a flower. Put the seal on it. They take it, touch it to their heads. And then they come out. Sometimes you make them chant Hare Krishna over the microphone. And then someone announces, this is, you know, Gopalacharya, you know, Mr. Rangabhati Gopalacharya, Wara, is... So by the time they come out, I remember that uh, this getting people to chant Hare Krishna, I found it to be a very inspiring thing. I had a big fight with on this issue with Gokul uh, Chandra. No, uh, who's the, you know the big? He's in Korea right now. He used to do big book distribution. Anyway, Yogeshwar. That. Uh, we had given two million books out in uh, Bengal, and people were coming up. They read the book, they'd come up to the devotees, and they say that, I, I agree with your philosophy. <coughs> now, tell me what to do. I want to become Krishna conscious. So then we would, you know, the distributor naturally would say, well, find out a book. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, either he buys another book, or doesn't have any money, so what next, you know? So then they say, well, why don't you move into Mayapur? He said, great. I got 13 kids. I got a dependent grandmother. I, I got, uh, you know, four cows and 12 acres in the house. And uh, I got eight more years to finish before I get retirement, my pension. And, you know, I'm just ready to move in right now. He saw all these problems from me. So then, you know, so then, why don't you become a life member in India? So then, you know, either becomes or doesn't, you know, depending on that's all financial aspects. So then, generally what would happen is, you know, the distributor would, you know, probably tell the guy, hey, you know him, and walk away just to get rid of the guy. <laughs> because they wouldn't know what to do. And so then, so many people were coming up that were reading the books, and they said, now I, I agree, I want to become Krishna conscious. But all I told was that we had to also have a program to engage these people. And for that, you know, not that we should reduce the book distribution, but this program should also come, but he was saying that, you know, only book. So that was our basic running. So that, after that, anyway, I took Prabhupada's permission and we started on, I had taken before, we started the Namhat program to try to engage these people. And the first thing I saw was that he had to get them to chant Hare Krishna. Whenever we go and do these big programs, we want to get the people to chant, to buy the books, read the book, get convinced, and then... The next stage is if you could actually convince them to chant, then that was a significant uh, sign that they were actually accepting your philosophy. And then it's, oh, yeah, I like it very much. But then you say, all right, then you chant every day. That was a very big commitment. I remember once that just some family came to see me, and there was a 16-year-old girl who was in senior year of her high school, Bengali girl, with the mother and the whole family. So everyone else was just a complete, you know, she was the only one that was a little bit intelligent. So I zeroed in on her and asked her, why doesn't she chant Hare Krishna? So then she said, well, her mother said, yes, she is chanting Hare Krishna, this is very good. And she said, but what about worshipping Ma Kali? What about worshipping the demigod and Lord Shiva? Why should I only chant Krishna? So then 
I preached to her that what is the position of the demigods, how by worshipping them you get temporary results, and how by worshipping Krishna, that ultimately this is, he's the Supreme Lord, you worship him, everyone else had his fight. All the philosophy that we read in our books that you never get to use in America, they are here to them. Uh, <laughs> so then what happened was that she, she, she thought it was a serious thing she was thinking and thinking and then she said alright I'll do it and at, and at that time I felt that that was a major commitment that she had she had transcended all the different social and other environment. I mean, they're trained from birth to worship Kali, Durga, all these different demigods. That she had finally come to that conclusion that just by chanting Hare Krishna, that is enough. I should do that. So all these, uh, in preaching, they gave a very nice focus because it was such a simple thing that you chant 10 minutes a day, anybody can do it. So it, the same thing, I told them that if we did it in South America, it would be a big hit. But nobody believed me. So this time, about 250 cars have been from Calcutta. And, uh, and the National Library in Peru, there are 500 people there. At the end of my lecture, I made the same drive I make in India, requesting the people to give 10 minutes a day doing this meditation, a little bit adjusted for, you know, yoga. Who can give 10 minutes a day to become liberated, to, to reach, you know, job realization, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So then, all the 250 cards, everyone, they took it, they filled it out, they came up, and they bowed down, and they took the prasadam. Because they, I don't, they wouldn't bow down in Bolivia too much, but in Peru they bowed down to Roman Empire. I don't think they bowed down in America. But there was a PTA meeting in North, a PTA meeting in North Carolina. All the women clubs met there, and one of my women disciples from Atlanta went with another devotee, and they gave a lecture to the PTA women. Three PTAs were there, and all of the women chanted Hare Krishna. A North American regular, this says, you know, that women presented in a very nice way, and they all chanted Hare Krishna. And I know that if they had made the drive, you know, given them all a set of beads, and let them chant as an experiment, you know, just, you know, and then after that, say, anyone who wants to keep one can have it for a buck each. And, uh, you know, you'll find that in a group, you're going to get five, ten, fifteen people are going to do it. Just if you ask people to what, chant Hare Krishna, if you get the favor, I, met, I was just sitting in the plane when I flew to uh, Boston, and there was a, to Detroit, there was a 75-year-old woman who was an artist. And uh, I asked her if she'd like to see Who Are They magazine. She said she read it. It's very interesting. Although it's too late for me to change, I'm a Christian, but I like this stuff very much. And uh, one lady in the TTA apparently told uh, that uh, if you had just come 20 years earlier, then I could have won. And that, if I had the card for America, you'd have to have a different kind of card. It would have to be, you know, written for the American mind, not for the Indian mind. Is different, so even the Latin mind. And I'm sure that if we just make a drive that people can chant. When I was sent to India in 1970, I went to Sri in in uh, Los Angeles, and he told me, not only me, there was like a morning walk, and he, and he said, don't think that everyone is going to live in our country. He said, just like there are Christian churches with big congregations, our temples will have the devotees, the brahmanas, the teachers, they will be maintaining the high standard preaching. Uh, there will be so many people living around the temples who will chant in their house, who will practice Krishna consciousness, and who will come to the temples on weekends uh, and on, on Sundays and on festival days. And they will be the congregation of the temple. And at that time, I mean, you need to know what you call it, you know, say that time really said something. And I see that that is the Varnashram system. Right now in America, people don't recognize the devotees because there's no congregation. You have to go to the court, but if you have a congregation, if you have thousands of people in St. Louis that believe that they are Hare Krishna followers, or at least that they are favorable to the Hare Krishna movement, then you don't have to go to court because the politicians aren't going to step on you. In India, you don't have to go to court. The Christians go to court. 
We don't go to court for our rights. The Christians go to court for their rights. We don't go to court because we have the popular support behind us. They know that if they mess with us, then they're going to lose votes. And in, in America, it's so democratic that you have to vote the clerk into office. Council clerk or something? Yeah, I <coughs> what to speak of any... So their their main concern is they don't want to lose their votes. So they don't give a Hare Krishna devotees any breaks because they figure they're going to lose the votes if they do. But if they know that they're going to... The Hare Krishna temple in Los Angeles, in St. Louis, has got 50,000 or 20,000 or 5,000 people that are connected with it, then they're going to think twice before they uh, do anything. And they're going to go out of their way to give some time just, you know, to get your vote. <coughs> so gradually, <coughs> I see that the next stage for developing, uh, is, you know, to develop bigger, bigger congregations. And, uh, I was having a very hard time, I think, winning the Ramachar Swami's heart, which is always so dedicated to book distribution, which is, of course, the basis of the whole movement, and that's the first thing. But I think that I, I got a little good response when I mentioned to him that how the Namhat in Bengal, we have the Namhat people distribute books. We give them 20 books a month and say they have to give out 20 books. And some of them have done as many as 5,000 books in a year. One, one devotee, one non-hot, not a full-time devotee, a non-hot member. And so I was saying if you have a thousand congregations and each of them take 10 books and sell them or give them at some reduced cost, so they buy them from you and they give them away or they sell them or whatever. If they got 10 books in a month, they have to do something with them then that means you have 10,000 books that they distributed one month. And for a person, ordinary guy working in a job, to somehow or another sell or give away 10 books to his friends or to uh, or people working with them, it's not difficult in a month. I mean, they just kind of say, sorry, that's they can do 20, 30 without any trouble. One of the people got there. When I told him that and said, seeing how many books to go out, <laughs> then he became. Then he said, well, we already have a whole program. <laughs> so, I see that uh, as you get the <coughs> congregation built up, then automatically the, the devotees. Right now, it's like you're all ordained ministers or training ministers. But the flock is there, but the flock has not been organized. So, therefore, the ordinary people, they don't they don't always give devotees the respect they should as being actually ministers. But if they could see that there was actually you know, so much congregation that was respecting the devotees in that way, then that would uh, automatically, other people would start to learn. They gave a Vyas Puja for me this, you know, it's not like, my dad's food was April 4th, but in Atlanta they had like a re, replay, just, you know, the offering, not all, just the offering, verbal offering. And it was during a Sunday feast, and all of the regular guests were there, including the guests that come for the past eight years, you know, they just show up for the Sunday feast, and they leave, <coughs> but, <coughs> and uh, they never bow down, and they just kind of sit in the back and wait for the prasad to come. So, everyone... Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's because there's no clo in other words I know when I was at the La the Rafiatra Festival two years ago and all the people were coming, I was just pointing out that all these people are coming, asking questions, buying prasadam. Even Ramaswar Swami said he never saw so many people with bead breaks in his life. He had never seen them in his life before. There were literally hundreds of people there with bead breaks. 
but they didn't have anybody named. And so I said, if you just had someone signing up the people's names that are coming, so many several people, you, your congregation immediately would be like 5,000 on your mailing list. So, I mean, it's happening now. Everywhere in America, it's happening. I'm just, you know, painting the picture, just, to, you know, saying that how this is the this is the next stage. I mean, it's already happening more in Shudaramishwar in this zone than anywhere else in North America. And uh, that's why here's also all the preaching, more book distribution, more devotees being made, more festivals going on. In every respect, uh, I find that uh, Shudaramishwar's Swami's zone is, uh, you know, fired up and uh, very wonderful Krishna conscious move. So naturally, also the congregational program in San Diego and Los Angeles, everywhere, now is uh, developing more than anything. <coughs> and uh, it requires that someone, though, constantly, just one person, doesn't take many people, one person has to constantly think how to engage all these different people. Just like at the Vyas Puja, when they just saw that all the devotees said they each gave a little offering, they each gave a little talk and start glorifying the group. At the end of it, all of the guests, everyone, even the people that never bowed down, they all bowed down, they all came up and offered flowers because you created a whole mood there which they got drawn into. And the more people you get, the more easy it is to create that mood. And that, and it may be more difficult in America, but when you get a person in America, I mean, every, every church has got the same difficult people and they all go every Sunday and the people also there are people that are very frustrated with the organized religion and with the materialism and everything in the state. And it may be that in the beginning they're more difficult to convince, but once you convince the people, once they can understand, and once they actually feel welcome, that even though they come to the temple and they don't shave up, and they don't, but they're, but they're accepted as a congregation, and then they're engaged to do some kind of service, either regular donation every month, and chanting, and someone is there to actually... Treat them as welcome part of the Hare Krishna temple. Then you'll see that those people, more and more, they will contribute. There's a person in Atlanta that I've been working with since I've been coming here for a year and a half. And now, you know, he's chanting 16 rounds. But he was one of the same people that they've given up eight years. He didn't do anything because they said that you either shave up, otherwise they don't want to talk with you. Right? And then if you just talk with the people and preach to them and, uh, and you're chanting how many rounds... Did Four rounds. Oh, you are not, you are not regulated. I do not talk with you. This is the way some devotees treat because they have been trained up in this particular way. And then when you actually say, oh, you're chanting four rounds, that's very nice. That's very nice. Of course, you know, four rounds, you're guaranteed not to become an animal in your next life. <laughs> but if you want to be guaranteed to actually go back to Godhead, then of course you have to chant 16. So, you know, in a very gradual way. But you encourage the people, and then gradually after they chant four, they think, why shouldn't I chant six? Why shouldn't I chant eight? Why shouldn't I chant twelve? And this way they start to respect the devotees. That, oh, these devotees, they're chanting 16 rounds, they're following four regular principles, they're doing so many things. There was uh, some devotee in Cincinnati, it's now a new Boston in uh, New Orleans, he said one of his friends got a book in St. Louis. And the friend came in to him and he told him that, uh, have you read this book? It was the Bhagavad Gita. He said, no. He said, sit down, you have to read this. So I'm busy. He said, you sit down, I'll put your head in. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy breaks principles. And, but he's really into the Bhagavad Gita. He picked it up in the airport in St. Louis, the boy told him. And he made the boy read it. He said, he's finished, he understands, he understands. Understand. Read it again. So he read it again. And then somehow... Uh, they have a whole group of devotees in Cincinnati of people that are chanting Hare Krishna. But there's no temple there. There's no preaching center. There's nothing there. But there's apparently like 25 people there that chant Hare Krishna. And so this boy, somehow he was told by throwing the I Ching or something, he's supposed to go to New Orleans. I mean, it's all hard to you know, chant Hare Krishna, throw the I Ching, and other things. You know? But uh, there's like there's like this all over the country. There's different places where there's devotees that are just there, but they're having no direction. They're not having any direction. They've got our books. They've read them. They become very impressed, but they don't have any direction. How it's like deep sea fishing. You know, you, you gotta just, you gotta let it run out, bring it in, let it out, bring it in. 
and then gradually, you know, you hook the person. So it's a whole different uh, psychology. For those who are ready, immediately get them surrendered, put them in a new bhakti program, get them trained up. They're being trained up as ministers. Other people, how to get the service out of them? How to get a thousand people to distribute twenty books each every month? How to get twenty thousand books out? Cash coming into the temples of the BBC and giving out 20,000 books every month to the big congregation. How to get the people to uh, make one new person chant Hare Krishna every month. That's not difficult. They have, you know, or even in six months. That means if you have a congregation of 200, the congregation themselves should become 400, 800 every year. In six months, you just convince one other person to be a friend of Lord Krishna. That's what we tell the Namhadzus, that in every six months, you make at least one more Namhad. That's why every six months, every, every, you know, they don't always do it, but for every year we double. Because at least in a year, if you say every six months you make one more, at least in a year they do it. So every year we double it. So that's why I'm going to Los Angeles and we're making a prohibition. The Ramachar gave an idea that we should uh, have a national coordination. That all the names that are collected from out of state, they should be sent in to Mukunda, put them on a computer. And if you get the names from like Boston, Denver, the people that are from the St. Louis area, those names would be sent to St. Louis. The people that are from the Chicago area sent to Chicago. And they send them out like that. So that way, if Atlanta devotees find someone from Missouri, they'll send the name in, and then you know, it'll be sent back. And this way, gradually, Maybe the people that are, f- are favorable from Missouri, they don't stop in the, you know, they don't stop when they, in the airport, but they got hit up in Denver or hit up some other place. Like that, <coughs> we're trying to organize the program so that uh, we can gradually collect all the names of all the people that are favorable to Krishna consciousness. It's already being done, but uh, when we always talk about book distribution, we always say that double it. When we talk about congregational programs, then why can't we think in the same way that we should always be increasing? When we took the, when the Gallup poll took the, amongst the teenagers that, uh, how, what is your religion? And a half a percent said that their religion was Hare Krishna. Or was it one percent? One percent. So that worked out to be something like, uh, four million people. But we don't have four million people. We have, we have 20,000 people on our Back to Godhead subscription list and maybe another 10,000 in the mail order BDT or maybe 20,000 in the mail order BDT. That means that there's another 3,960,000 people that believe that from the ages of 14 and 19 or now from the ages of 16 to 22 that believe they're followers of Hare Krishna but we don't have their name in it. They're doing this very methodically, and, and they did it in England. And so when they went to open up a preaching center in Glasgow, the friends of Lord Krishna contributed so much money that they, they maintained the whole temple for the first year by giving from their salary. 100 pounds, 200 pounds every month. So to make the ordinary American person chant Hare Krishna is difficult, but every day I ask the distributors, how many favorable people do you need? And then really people that really like the books, that you know read the books before. And the basic thing I found out is a distributor in a day needs at least two to three people per day who are actually very favorable to Krishna consciousness. And most of the people, you know, don't time, they just push it by. But at least two to three people a day they need are people that are very favorable. So if you take, you got ten distributors, two to three names a day, that's 30 distributors, that's 30 names a day, which means 150 names a week, which means, uh, 1500, means 7,500 names in a year. Yes? Well, I'm going to say this sounds great, but you know, personally, I've had the experience of doing exactly that program, getting the names of favorable people that the book distributors need and following up on them. And I found that actually a very tiny percentage of those, when you actually contact them, they don't want to have anything to do with you. Want to want to find out more, want to come to the temple, or want to. They may be polite and they say, yeah, okay, you know, but they're. You know, at best, casual, most of them. Although occasionally there's somebody, you know, yeah. very sweet, but I'm just saying that the... The thing is, the thing is to do it first by mail. We do 80% of our preaching in India by mail. In America, you can have form letters done up by computers. You just, you have the form letter and you put the person's name 
and the computer just, you know, it's a special machine, it'll print it out, it looks like a personalized letter. The Mormons, the Seventh-day Adventists, every, every Christian group does this. They send out personal appeal letters to the people. And just by sending them letters, and sending them little books, first of all, warning them up like that. To come to the temple is a big culture shock. Some people can't come to the temple for one year. Just to come to the temple and come before Krishna and such a big, the deity of Krishna is such a big culture shock for them It's going into the spiritual world. But they will chant Hare Krishna in their house and they'll, and their whole ice gets warmed up. So a lot of it doesn't have, it's not labor intensive. It can all be done just by, you know, if you have, you have the, the name list and then they, you print out the form letter and you send them, invite, you know, telling them, inviting them, you know, one thing is invite them that we're having a festival come over. What, you know, warm up letter inviting them, uh, to keep in contact or to reply you. And then obviously you're not going to get 100%, even if you get 10% or 50%. This way it gradually builds up. So I know that the Mormons, they're able to do, the Mormons have a weirder philosophy than Krishna consciousness. They don't even believe in God. They say everybody can become God and then you have millions of wives and all kinds of things, you know, and then you become the father of Jesus and the whole thing. So, they go into South America countries and they get congregations of, four, of 400,000 and each of them give 10% of their income and they net $4 million a year, a, a month. They net $4 million a month from their congregation after just going in and working a place for 10 years because they, this is the whole thing is to get the people to be congregations to give something every month. That's what they did in London. They have a forum. You're a folk member. You pledge to give something maybe 50 cents 50 pence, maybe 5 pounds, maybe 50, that's what, you pledge something, even, you know, 50 pence. Just something every month as a, as, as a service. And this way, some people give 500 pounds, one person walked in and gave 10,000 pounds. Most people, you know, give 5, 10, 2, 1, 50, some people send 50 pence. 